Please take your Bibles and turn to one of the biographies of Jesus, and that is in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. I was grateful for last Sunday's um, praise report that Roman put together. It provided a, a number of different video testimonies of some of the blessings taking place in our church. And one of them had to do with the Weekend to Remember conference. That was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Melody and I were able to share not all of that conference, but uh, actually it was one of the goals that I had set to work on our marriage, that we would go to this Weekend to Remember conference. And as we were coming back from it, uh, pulled up to our mailbox, and she was retrieving the mail, and there was a, a notice from the Brown County Library uh, those of you who check out books know what I'm referring to. Uh, and this has been a source of conflict in our marriage. And so, fresh off the heels from a marriage retreat, decided to give it a go. And, um, and the dam broke. You know, uh, in, in an hour that followed, uh, Melody and I had a, a conversation. And I think I thought going into that weekend... I was blind to how well I was doing as a husband and, and how tuned in I was to her. But that little article of mail led to a conversation that led to further conversations. And then I realized that that marriage retreat was just something on my calendar to do. Yes, I wanted to spend time with her, but I can go to something like that and can actually be blind to the things that I really need to be attending to. This chapter today is really on blindness. And it's occurred to me that you could be sitting in those chairs right now being blind as well. This is what I do. It's 10, whatever, 10.45 or so. And so this is what I do on Sundays. I, I sit behind and under the preaching of God's Word. But would you allow me to pray that we would just not be blind to what the truth is going out before us right now, but be open to hear what God has to say to us. It's interesting that during his ministry, he said, those who have ears, let them hear. It's possible to have physical ears, but not actually hear what he is saying to us. So let's, let's pray against that right now. Father, before us is the very word of God the one that you have set aside for us to be able to hear of you, to learn of ourselves, and to, to discover and to be in worship of Jesus. And Father, we pray now for you to take your Holy Spirit and for you to empower us right now to be able to see these words in this story and to allow the blinders to come off the eyes of our heart that we might just be captivated in worship and be let go of sinful things in our life, that we would give all of ourselves to Jesus. He would be pleased. He would be glorified. We would take the, the opportunity to share him with others as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So for these last several weeks, we've been just looking at the Gospel of John with the purpose of knowing Jesus more. We left off the last part of John 8 with this tension, conflict. Jesus had said to these Jews, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And what he was doing was identifying himself as God. And according to verse 
59, they picked up stones as if to throw it at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, as he is leaving the temple, I take it we pick up the next verse now in John chapter 9, verse 1. Now, I'm going to read the next seven verses, and then we'll come back to it. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing I don't know about you, but if I'm putting myself in Jesus' sandals and there are people that are picking up rocks to throw them at me, to kill me, I'm quite certain that I would have tried to leave that temple as quickly as I could to escape that danger. And there wouldn't have been hardly anything that would have stopped my walk. But we see here in chapter 9, verse 1, that as he passed by, he saw a man with a disability. The man was blind from birth. And he said to himself, that person is so important to me that I want to give them all of my attention. And before I even get out of verse 1, I'm convicted. (laughs) That here is a man with a disability made in the image of God, that has infinite value, that Jesus is not just going to pass by, but he's going to give all of his attention to this man. And we'll see in verse 2 that taking Jesus' cue, the disciples actually say something about this, this man with a disability. And we might be quick to pile on and criticize them for it, but at least they said something. At least they tried to interact with this person with this disability. And what is it that they ask? They ask this question, Rabbi, or the word teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? These disciples realize that there is something not right here. This is not normal. This is not good that this man has a disability, that he was born blind. And so they put it to him this way. Someone had to sin here, Jesus, and we're going to give you two options. A, this man. Some Jews at this time believed that it was possible for a child, even while still in the mother's womb, to sin. And then as a result, there'd be consequences of that sin when they came out of that womb. Is it that, letter A, or Jesus, is it letter B? Is there something that his parents did that brought upon this sin? Now that question reveals some of their theology, doesn't it? The theology is this. Physical problems 
are directly related to specific sins. Now, is this question completely in error? I don't think so. There is something within this question where they can discern sin brought this suffering on at some point. And we could look to the scriptures and we can see evidence of people's sin bringing on physical suffering. Do you remember Moses? He had a sister named Miriam. And one day she questioned him, rebelled against him as the leader. And remember what God did? He brought leprosy upon Miriam. And I think the obvious lesson to that, sisters, is you never criticize your brothers. (laughs) Of course, I am joking there. Can you think of another example? How about David and Bathsheba? David and Bathsheba engaged in an adulterous relationship in which she got pregnant. And yet the Bible says in 2 Samuel 12 that God afflicted her with sickness and that child died. We can think of cases in our own life, can't we, where there were people that because of their sinful choices brought on physical consequences. Thinking of my college days of a person that celebrates their 21st birthday. So they go out to the bar and get wasted. And then they go into their car, turn the key, and they wrap their car around a telephone pole, leading them to be paralyzed. Well, there is one sin that had consequences to their physical well-being. Perhaps you have heard of a woman that was pregnant and continued to engage in Uh, cigarette smoking and drinking alcohol or drugs. And that had consequences to the unborn child. But can we say this about every case? We can't, can we? Look at the book of Job. Isn't that what Job's friends were trying to say to him throughout that conversation? You've gone through all this suffering, Job. You have brought it on yourself with your sin. We cannot look at every person in this room or people that are not here and say, the reason you have this cold, the reason you have this flu, is because you've sinned this past week. Now, there's actually a a third option to this question, right? And I think if you were to study it a little bit more, and if Jesus were to engage in a Bible study with this question, he would have said it this way. As they asked him this question, Rabbi, who sinned? A, this man or B, his parents, let her see it's not here. But I think the answer is Adam and Eve, right? It was when sin was introduced to this world that we have disability, that we have sickness, that we have stuff like Parkinson's or cancer or infertility or diabetes or dyslexia or or, or any of these things was brought on, yes, by sin, but not this man and not his parents, but the original sin. So there is the question, who sinned? Now, how was Jesus going to answer this in verse 3? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So he doesn't answer by saying the who, but he answers with the what. God desires to use this suffering, to use this disability, as it says there, that the works, plural, the works of God might be displayed 
in him. Now, as we work through this passage this morning, I want to bring you back to that verse, works, plural. Let's see if God does works in this man's life. As we look through the scriptures, we see that there are times where God allows disability. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, as God and Moses are discussing whether Moses will actually be God's spokesman for the exodus from the Israelites out of Egypt. And God says to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And in Psalm 139, verse 13 and following, the scripture says, For you, God, you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God knows what he was doing. And he sometimes permits something like this, a man to be born blind. And the question is not, whose fault is it? The question is, how will God work through this? So then we see verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, enough about the questions, enough about the past. I'm only going to be here for another month or so, then I'm going to hang on a cross. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to ascend back into heaven. I've got enough light right now, and we've got to do some works. We've got to perform miracles to prove that I am sent from God, that I might save people from their sins. And so then we read in verse 6, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Now there were other places in the Gospels where Jesus gives sight to the blind. In Matthew 9, verses 27 through 31, he merely touched some blind man's eyes, and they could see. In Mark 8, 22 through 26, he spit on their eyes, and they could see. But in this case, we see in verse 6 that he made mud. Mark that. Because we're going to find out that this was on the Sabbath. And then according to the man-made rules of that time, it was not permissible to make mud. And so Jesus is going to intentionally provoke the religious people by having him make mud and then heal him. Verse 7 says, and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. We've heard about that pool in, verse, in chapter 8 when the priest would go down and, and scoop some water in a golden pitcher from the pool of Siloam and go up to the temple and they would pour it over rocks and that helped him to remember the days in which God brought water from the rocks from the desert wanderings going down to that same pool and he is to wash. And the Bible says there in verse 7 that he went and he washed and he came back seeing. It's so easy for us to read that and just move on to the next verse But this was a game changer. For the very first time in his life, he could see his mother's face. He could see the smile in a child. He could see the architecture of the temple. 
He could see the light of day, including the sunrise and and the sunset, the colorful garments of his peers. This was magnificent. And the Bible says in Isaiah 42, verse 7, it foretold of a Messiah that would come. And one of the things he would do is he would open the eyes that are blind. So here's this very clear miracle of a man that was blind from birth. And it proves that he is the Messiah. And that's the miracle. But you have 41 verses here in John 9. And so the rest of this chapter is what becomes of him after that miracle. So there's five different conversations, and let's take them in order. The first conversation is between this formerly blind man and his neighbors. So let's pick it up in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am that man. He kept repeating, that. that's me. Yeah, I was blind, but now I see. So in verse 10 it says, So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And we're going to see that question asked four different times in this chapter. They're asking how. Perhaps a better question would be who opened them. Verse 11, he answered. Now I'm going to give you a little assignment over the next several minutes. And I want you to listen for how he identifies Jesus through the rest of John chapter 9. In verse 11, he says, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. The first word he uses to describe Jesus is man. And that's exactly where he's at. In fact, we don't see any evidence here where he was calling out for Jesus to bring sight to his eyes. Jesus comes to him. He goes to the pool. His eyes are able to see. And there's no evidence here of him trying to find Jesus to thank him. He doesn't know much about Jesus. This is all he knows at this moment, is he's a man. That's the first conversation. Here's the second conversation. They they close it out in verse 12. They said, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Verse 13 is the second conversation. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when he made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? There was a division among them. According to these man-made rules about the Sabbath, not only could a man uh, be forbidden to make mud, but they were only able to give medical attention in life-or-death situations. So here's a man. 
that he's blind. And Jesus is interceding and bringing sight. He he has broken our view of the Sabbath. So verse 17 says, So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes, he said, He is a prophet. Now that's the second thing he had to say about Jesus. The first was he was a man. And it seems as if his view of Jesus is now being expanding. It's illuminating. And he's like, no, he's not just a man. He is a prophet. Now in the Old Testament, there were prophets like Moses and Elijah and Elisha. And they could perform miracles. So the more he thinks about this, the more insight he is getting. And his perception of Jesus is becoming more and more fuller. Let's look at the third conversation. Now, this does not include the man, but the man's parents. Now, at this point, if you've read through this passage before, it would be easy for us to get critical of these parents. Like, man, what kind of parents are there? They have a son with a disability, and he's out on the temple grounds begging for money. Why aren't they out helping to provide for him? Have you ever had a child with a disability? Do you have someone in your life that has a child with a disability? Could we just, just for today, just say, let's give them some grace and say, life's probably been very difficult. It's probably been a real challenge on their marriage. And so let's just read this with that in mind. Here's the third conversation. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked him, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that he is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nobody know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. This is really difficult to, to believe, isn't it? you would think that for these parents, this would have been the greatest day of their life. For their son to now be able to see, they would have found out immediately who healed him, and they would have been an instant follower of Jesus. So what is behind their resistance from being full disclosure with these Pharisees? Look at verse 22. His parents said these things, Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now we understand. The reason they were not forthcoming is because they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. And I don't know that we understand the significance of that. If there were a day, God forbid, that you are excommunicated from Highland Crest, My guess is the average person would just go on down to Bay City and infect them or or to Bethel or or, or to some other church. And we'd just roll with the punches, right? But at this time, if you were excommunicated, you were being pulled out of not only your religious life, but your social life as well. This was devastating. Now, why would this part of this story be included here. I think what Pastor John Piper said is true. 
He said, verses 18 through 23, uh, just help us to understand the severity of pressure that was placed on people to become followers of Jesus. That for them to say, he is Christ, that he is my Savior, what that would mean is they would be cast out. And now we look at the fourth conversation, and with that in mind, this intense pressure, this makes the words of the blind or the formerly blind man even more impressive. Beginning in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Hey, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In our day, if you are to testify in court, I think they still do this, you have a Bible and you put your hand over the Bible and you, you swear that you're going to share an honest testimony. Back then what they did is they say, give glory to God. In John, Joshua 7, verse 19, they did the same thing with Achan when he was to confess what he had done there in Jericho. So give glory to God, they are saying. And here's how you give glory to God, according to them. We know that this man is a sinner. It's hard to be more blasphemous than this. Give glory to God, say Jesus is a sinner. Verse 25. He answered him in these famous words. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now I see. And it's from that line that we have that famous line from Amazing Grace. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he's been answering this question all day and all week long. And he's about ready to have a a holy snap, right? In verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? If you want to worship him, you're going to want to hear the same story over and over and over again, because then you're going to admire him even more. Verse 28, and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why then, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. There's a few things I want you to see here. First, the man identified Jesus as a man, there in verse 11. Then as a prophet, there in verse 17. But then as one from God, in verse 33. And so we're seeing his understanding of Jesus grow throughout this story. The second thing that I think it's imperative that we see is that here was a man, very likely without any education, certainly any theological education, and here he is preaching to these Pharisees. 
And what was it that he was preaching? A changed life. It's as if to say, you guys, you, you guys can argue about all these theological data, but I'm just here to tell you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And in our room here this morning, the vast majority of us will never attend Bible school or seminary. But here's the good news. Most people just want to hear the truth of how the gospel changed your life. And so when we hear a story, when we read a story like this, oh, I want to encourage you to share your story of how you became a Christian. I think most people will say, that is exactly what I needed to hear. Now, are there some that need some apologetics? Yes, sure. But the ones that are trained and educated, they can address that. But the most people just want to see a life changed by the power of the gospel. And that's what we see here. So feel free to share it. Share it frequently. That's the fourth conversation. I told you there was five. So now let's wrap it up with the fifth conversation that takes place between Jesus and the blind man. I want to remind you what it says, the last part of verse 34, that they cast him out. He was rejected. He was rejected out of the, the synagogue, the very thing that his parents feared. In verse 35 it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. I I got that word found underlined. It's the second time in this chapter where Jesus has sought him out. We saw it in verse 1, and now we see it again in verse 35. And hopefully as we're going through the Gospel of John, we're seeing one story that is unfolding And there's a benefit to know the story of one chapter as it flows into the next chapter because the next chapter, chapter 10, Jesus is identified as the good shepherd. And here the good shepherd has found a wayward sheep. He has found him. And he says there in verse 35, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, And it is he who is speaking to you. And then verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The story started out with him seeing Jesus as a man. Advanced to him being a prophet. Then being from God. But by the time we get to verse 38, a second miracle has taken place in John 9. Not only has his physical eyes been opened, but now the eyes of his heart have been opened. And he sees Jesus as not only the Lord of the universe, but the Lord of his life. Why do I say that? Because it says there in verse 38, and he worshiped him. And then we see, I think, in verses 39, 40, and 41, what this whole chapter is about. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and those who did not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, what in the world does that mean? For those who are searching, for those who are sincere, Jesus will remove the blindness and will allow you to see. But for those of you who are got it all figured out, and you don't need to search anymore, 
you will remain in your blindness. And then I think the truest words spoken by the Pharisees in the whole chapter is in verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? Now, I wish I would have been there to understand the tone of that. Because if the tone was sarcastic, Hey, are we also blind? Then you would have known what was going on there. But if there was some sincerity in that, Hey, are we, are we also blind? There was hope for them. And what's the answer to that, church? Are they also blind? Yes. You see, the gospel of John, John 9, is about blindness. Not only physical blindness, but a spiritual blindness. In verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. If you have a searching heart, I will make it a way for you will be able to see the truth of who I am. But if you want to remain in your blindness, I will allow you to do that. Now in your outline that came with your bulletin today, I want two different truths that I want to share with you that comes from John 9. The first is this. Jesus not only brings sight to the eyes, but also to the heart. We are born spiritually blind. This blind man was unable to see natural things like a tree, a sunrise, a lamb, children playing, but we are unable to perceive spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I suspect for many of us, we can think back to a time where truths were shared with us and we just simply could not understand them. But later in our life, the same truths were shared with us and we could. If someone would have come up to this man and says, could you please explain to me how you got your sight back? And he said, well, let me tell you the story. Jesus came up to me and he he put some mud in my eyes and he said, walk over that pool and, and wash off. I mean, honestly, does this make any sense? Why would he do that? Well, he performed that sign to prove that he was sent from God, that he is God, and that he alone can save your sins. The Bible teaches that we are not only blind, but we don't even pursue sight. Romans 3.11, no one seeks for God. Letter B under this, Jesus seeks and opens our eyes. This man in the opening chapter, our verses here of John 9, he was not even seeking sight. Jesus came to him. He had no prospects, no medicine, no experimental procedures. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus had to act on this man's behalf, and he did. Not only did he shine the light in his physical eyes, but to the eyes of his heart. And as time passed, his understanding of Jesus became clearer and clearer. From man to prophet 
to from God to he's my Lord. Let us see, when the truth of Jesus is clear, we must follow and obey. What we see here is as Jesus comes to him, he, he spits, he puts mud in his eyes, but it was this man's responsibility to go and wash in the pool, and he did, and he saw. So God can take the truth of his word. He can expose our blindness and enable us to see the truth for ourselves. But we must act on that truth. What does that look like? To repent, to believe. This morning, is the light shining in your heart? Is your understanding of Jesus increasing as every week passes? I would encourage you to follow the insight that God has given you. He's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than just sent from God. He is Lord over all creation. And while he doesn't need you, he is permitting you an opportunity where you would call him your Lord. You see, the verdict was handed down. You are guilty of sin, and your punishment is death. And Jesus made a deal with the judge that he would take your death, you or he would be declared guilty, and you would be declared righteous. What does it mean to follow and obey, but to believe and repent? And then finally, the second point I think that comes from this passage is that God displays his works in our suffering. I want to bring you back to chapter 9, verse 3 again. Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works, plural, of God might be displayed in him. And church family, were there works displayed in his life? Oh my goodness. He could see physically, but even more important now, he could see spiritually. If we had the ability to stand this man before us today, And I could put a microphone in his face and and say, in light of it all, would you do it all over again with a disability? And he would say, of course I would. It was that disability that allowed Jesus to come to me. And I was so grateful to have my eyes open, but that was just a drop in the bucket to having my spiritual eyes open. And as a result of my disability, as a result of my suffering, you know what? For over 2,000 years, all around this world, my story has been shared with others. So what passes today for you for suffering? Maybe not physical blindness, but could it be Parkinson's? Could it be diabetes? Could it be migraines? Could it be back pain or arthritis or depression or infertility or panic attacks or work stress or loneliness? Has it occurred to you that in the same way God's plan for the blind man was to work, that the works of God might be displayed in him, that's the same reason you're experiencing your suffering right now, that the works of God might be displayed in you. What difference would it make if you this morning said, you know what, I haven't thought of it that way. I want to commit this suffering, whatever it is right now, to God. 
that his works might be displayed in it. A couple weeks ago, I was reading through the Bible, and I come across that passage there where the Israelites were about ready to go into the promised land, and they ended up sending a, a spy from every tribe into the promised land. And you remember the story that of the 12 spies that came back, 10 were like, we're dead. I mean, this is, this is so over our head. There's no way we can, we can enter this promised land. But there were two that says, we got this because God's with us. And do you remember the response of the congregation? It says there in Numbers 14, 1 and 2, all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled. You know, it occurred to me as I was reading that, that God had a massive blessing for his people. And all they had to do was to take it. But they were unwilling to go through a little bit of suffering to get it. And I'm telling you, that convicted me, and it's been convicted me ever since. What challenge is before you? It's the very pathway to God's blessing in your life. Oh, would you see it as God's pathway? To say, God, whatever you want of this thing in my life right now, I want to commit it that the work of God might be displayed. Now, in this man's case, he got to see with his physical eyes. I cannot guarantee you that you'll be able to have that sort of a healing. But I can guarantee you that God will work in your life if you'll have that attitude. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we see this wonderful story here. It's a story that's more than just a man receiving sight. And it is a magnificent miracle. It was given to us so that we would know that Jesus indeed is God. He's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than just sent from you. He can be our Lord. And so throughout this room today, as he has been adding understanding to you about Jesus and who Jesus is, are you ready to say, I want you to be my Lord? And let us be clear. Yes, they would mean changes in your life. Yes, it would mean giving up control of your life. Yes, it would mean seeing everything that you think is yours giving that into God's hands. Are you ready for that? Has God removed the blinders where you realize that he is more valuable than life, that you would be willing to forsake that all to become a follower of Jesus? If so, tell him that. He's he's made the path open to you by dying on the cross for you, being raised from the dead, and the invitation is open to you today. Receive this gift. Say, I believe that you've died for my sins. I'm placing 
all of my life into your hands. I'm turning from my selfish ways. I want you to be Lord over everything in my life. And then let me say something to each of us today that are experiencing some level of disability or sickness or suffering. Would you be willing right now just to commit that? That the works of God would be displayed in your life. I don't know what that looks like, but just commit it to say, I don't like this, but if you will use this, that you would be glorified, then I'm, I'm committing it to you. Maybe you've done this before, but you're going to do it afresh today. And then just look, look for how he's going to use it as a pathway to further blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.